You folks that are staying with us, let's open the Bible to John chapter 17. Let's get John chapter 17. If you saw the message last night that I sent out about today's tricky topic, tricky topic indeed, we're talking about church attendance. It's one of those Sundays I mentioned in the message, you you definitely want to be here for that. And I kind of figured that the Sunday where the Holy Spirit would lead me to teach on this is the Sunday where a lot of folks would be out. That's just how it goes. Um, So hopefully they'll catch this on YouTube. But John 17 is where we're going to begin And let me just say before we read, this is, as we've been going through the tricky topics, I mentioned to you guys when we started this series, what you don't want to do is oversimplify the complicated, and you don't want to overcomplicate the simple. Now, there are parts to this topic, church attendance, that are a bit tricky and complicated, and it's impossible to cover all the scenarios, and I'll try to acknowledge that when we get to it. But actually this one, unlike the other topics we've covered so far, I think they've been pretty complicated in that there are a lot of possible questions and many answers that could go with them. This one, however, at the end of the day, I think it's a lot more simple than people make it out to be. So I'm going to try not to overcomplicate this topic. John 17, verse number 17. Jesus, this is his prayer just before going uh, to the cross. Not yet Gethsemane, but he's on his way to Gethsemane here. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Right? Verse 17. So Jesus is praying for the disciples. God, keep them separated from the world. How do we do that? One one way, keep them busy in the word of God. Right? Thy word is truth. And if they can walk in truth, they will not walk like the world. Verse 18. As thou hast sent me into the world... Even so have I also sent them into the world. So in another place in this chapter, we're in the world. We are not of the world. We don't act like them. We don't think like them. We approach subjects differently, even weekly gatherings. We, we have to apply the mind of Christ, not the mind of a South African. Amen? No, we, we just have to think about it differently. Verse 19, and for their sakes, I sanctify myself. Jesus is our example, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. I love verse 20, neither pray I for these alone. Now here, this is us in the Bible right here, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. That's us. We believed on Christ because of what we read in the New Testament, what the apostles wrote. Jesus was praying for you directly, not indirectly, directly right there. Verse 21, that they all may be one. We're to be unified. As thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. So one way, this is not the only way, but one method that Jesus wanted to employ to reach the world, to evangelize the world, was our unified stand as a local body. The world sees us taking a stand together. Now listen, does it make a powerful statement if you as an individual stand for the truth where you work, where you live, where you go to school? Absolutely. 
But us making a unified stand together as a group, that is directly what Jesus was praying for. So it's not just a matter of each individual disciple learning the Bible, applying the Bible, living by the Bible, but then us also coming together and assembling according to the will of God, right? Not just quantity, but quality. It's not how many times in the week you come together, but how you come together in those times of the week. Does that make sense? So it's not just quantity. I went to church five times this week. Good, but did you have the right attitude? See, that also may, that's part of the statement we want to make. But coming together as a group, unified stand, makes a powerful statement. I said this Thursday night. This was in a different lesson, but I think it applies in this context now. The end goal of this lesson today and the end goal of our church is not to fill the church with people. That's not the end goal. The end goal is to fill the world with obedient disciples. And part of accomplishing that goal is assembling faithfully, properly, genuinely, and so forth. Take your Bible. Come to 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14. I have a note on my desk, and I'm, I'm just going to be very honest. Is that all right if I just open my heart for a moment and just speak honestly with you? When it comes to this topic, for a, a long time, I have felt it's me versus the church. It's me twisting arms. It's, it's never been my intention, but in hindsight, I look back and think, you know, I probably could have said that better, or I, I could have had a better attitude as I explained it, but at the end, of the end of the day, I felt like I was twisting arms to get people to come. And I, that's, I don't want you to come because your arm has been twisted, right? And I have a note on my desk. A few months ago when I got back from America, I wrote this note. I look at it almost every day. It's not me versus the church. It's me and the church. We are one. You are not here as my opponents. That, that was one of those lies that the devil had whispered in my ear and that you know, every week as I prepared, I thought, okay, now it's me against, it's not me against you. We're on the same team. We're working towards the same goal. And I want to approach this topic, specifically church attendance, with that fresh attitude and explain to you today why, I, I will mention why it's important and at the end of the day, try to give you a very simple answer as to how we should approach this. 1 Corinthians 14, let's get verse 24. In the chapter, Paul is talking about uh, the proper use of various spiritual gifts, specifically tongues. He compares it to preaching in the chapters called prophesying. Prophesying is publicly speaking the Word of God, right? That's, it's, it's not complicated. In verse 24, he says, But if all prophesy, and there come in one that believeth not, or one unlearned. So just imagine in our congregation today, we might have an unsaved person come. That's the unbeliever. You might even have somebody, that word unlearned in the chapter is somebody who doesn't really know the language that we're using that well. So they're not well-versed in English. I have found here in South Africa that happens more often than we know. <laughs> People come and they get about, you know, toxic percent of, you know, they don't get every word. And, and let's just admit it, that's how it is. So one believeth not, the other might be unlearned. It says at the end, he is convinced of all he is judged of all we're having a church service and the man in the pulpit is using a language that is common 
to the people coming, right? may not be your first language, but it is common to the people. You can have an unbeliever come in, and he may not be convinced simply by the preacher and by the words coming out of the pulpit. He is convinced, he, he's put under conviction, and he realizes the way he's been living is wrong. It says of all, not of the preacher. He looks around at how the church members have come to church. And that statement you make by coming to church and taking it seriously can actually minister to a person, leading them to verse 25. And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. He, he looks at how serious, how important the, the church service is to everybody. And he says, they have something I don't have. And then he starts to do a little homework. What are they so excited about? Why do they come together so often and take it so seriously? And they say, listen, Jesus died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again to us. There is no bigger deal. And we want to learn more about our Savior. We, we love to worship Him together. We need each other to strengthen each other and so forth. And that unbeliever says, I want to get in on that. And it's the church and their attitude towards assembling that convinces him. Now, just in the chapter, let me show you a couple things. Verse 26, how is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. This church was showing up to show off. They were showing up and say, Look at me, look at me. I know how to speak all these languages. I know all these tongues, tala. There's no gibberish in the Bible. You guys understand that, right? So that, that, that type of tala does not exist in the Bible. In, in the chapter, it's people showing up, and like in our church, they would speak French or Chinese. We don't know those languages. So to get up and preach in that language, you're just trying to impress us, right? So maybe you want to impress us with how beautiful your voice is or how many doctrines of the Bible, you know. If your motive for getting up and speaking in the church is wrong, then as Paul says in another place in Corinthians, ye come together not for the better but for the worse. So just because you show up to church doesn't mean you've, you've accomplished something good. You can show up and be coming together for the worse. So Paul says to this church, let all things, at the end of verse 26, let all things be done unto edifying. When you show up, you're here to be built up. And you say, but that's the pastor's job. Yes, it is. But you should also know that by you coming to church faithfully with the right attitude, you are also building up the people around you just by coming. People often say, you know, they're, they want to serve the Lord. What can I do for the Lord? That's one thing everybody can do is just show up faithfully good attitude, and that can encourage the people around you. Verse 31, he says, For ye all may prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be comforted. So yes, what's coming from the pulpit should teach you and it should comfort you. But you're going to find other verses. Just flip over to Romans 1 real quick. Romans 1 and verse 12. The learning and the comfort is not restricted to the pulpit. You can also be comforted, and I would say even more so by other people sitting around you being here can be a big comfort. Romans 1 and verse 12, 
Paul acknowledges here, that is that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. You see, so the comfort, yes, uh, hopefully today I'll tell you something that will, uh, you'll learn from it, and maybe some things will comfort you, but you can look around and go, you know what, my brothers, my sisters, they are enduring certain problems and trials and sorrows, so I will think it not strange that some fiery trial is happening to me. And you can be encouraged and comforted that if God's helping that person, he can also help me. It's very dangerous when you're going through a tough time to pull away from the church because God put us together for a multitude of reasons, but one of them to help each other through those tough times, to bear one another's burdens. But if we don't know what you're going through, how can we help? So turn your Bible to Romans, get Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10 and verse 24. Not too long ago, when we were on furlough this, uh, what was it, December, we were at a missions conference, and um, the conference started on a Sunday. So we were in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. This church has about 350 people in it, and we had to get there 45 minutes early to get a seat. I'm, I'm, a, I'm one of the visiting speakers slash missionaries, and I had to sit in the back because I got there 30 minutes early. <laughs> Those people were on the edge of their seats every service. And when you walked in, it, this is not my words now, this is the, the other, oh, another visiting preacher said, there's just a buzz in here, a healthy spiritual buzz. You know, the world has their buzz, you know, that they can give. We don't want to be that kind of buzzed, but... It was just a good energy, spirit amongst the people. It was something special. By the end of those three days, we're pulling out, or four days, I guess, we're pulling out of the parking lot. We're heading, heading out for the last time. And Amy, our 12-year-old, begins to cry. I said, Sugar, what's wrong? She said, Daddy, I don't want this to end. I love coming to church here. If you've ever had a taste of that, and you can, when, when you fully realize how exciting it can be to have a, a building filled with people that love the Lord genuine from their heart, that want to be there. When they sing, brethren, we have met to worship, they all mean the same thing. When you get a group of people unified, standing together, all aiming towards Christ. There is just something indescribable. I, I struggle to find words for that. But once you've been plugged into that, you just want more of that. I went to the pastor's office and I said, hey, listen here, man. You've caused me some trouble. He said, what happened? I said, my daughter doesn't want to leave. <laughs> that's one of those praise God for those problems moment, right? That's, a, that's what you want. We can create that same, the best word I know to put on it is culture. We can create that same atmosphere even here. But that's not on me. Right? I can tell you about it. I can show up and, and give you my utmost Sunday to Sunday. Right? I still have to pull my weight. But this is something that can only be accomplished if everybody, the whole church, not just, and I am preaching to the choir, aren't I? I mean, you're here. <laughs> 
So, so we need you guys on YouTube to watch and come, right? That's seriously now, but I don't expect in one week or in one month that everybody gets on the same page. But imagine if you had to get here 30, 30 minutes early just to find a seat. Everybody is just bubbling with excitement to be part of the church service. That's, that's something I don't know if we have had that experience yet. In our, I'm just being honest. But once you get that, taste and see, right? And, and, and you want more of it. Uh, Hebrews 10, verse 24. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Look at the verse carefully. Let us consider who? Who are we considering? Think about the people around you. It doesn't say, now let us consider your pastor because he worked hard on the sermon and you need to come listen because he worked hard. That's not what the verse is about. When it, when it comes to verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Why, when I think about coming to church, who should I consider one another? I think about the people around me. My absence, how is that going to affect the people around me? Bear in mind, I get it. This is where the complicated part comes in. You may have a very good reason for not being here. There are some Sundays you should not be here. I'll talk about those later, okay? But you must bear in mind when you're thinking about should I go to church or should I not, how is this going to affect the people around me, the people in that church? Verse 24, again, let us consider one another to provoke. To, to provoke means to stimulate. To, to energize. So this kind of provocation is a healthy thing. This is what we would call positive peer pressure. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. By coming to church, verse 25, you are helping the people around you love and do good works. Just by attending church. Just by being here. Verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is. I, I find that slightly encouraging in a way, because the writer of Hebrews says even 2,000 years ago, in the apostolic age, they were struggling to have people come to church faithfully. So this has been an ongoing problem. This is not a South African problem. This is just a, a, a human problem. A human problem, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. That is, we encourage and stir each other up. And, watch this next part, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So now we need to answer this question. It says we should assemble together, yes, and so much the more. How much more? How much? You, you, how much? Because this is where it gets complicated. How do we quantify that? He just said do it more. So I could leave you to your own devices here and say you figured out come more than you have been coming. Well, for some of you, that would mean you come to church six times in the year instead of three. <laughs> wink, wink. Do you see the wink? <laughs> that's not a tick. That's a, that's a wink. <laughs> right? So I, how do we quantify this? Let me... Let me try to answer this question as best I can. I'm going to give you some various ways that people gauge their church attendance. 
and how in their mind they might say, this is a pretty good standard to use. All right, quickly, let me go through this. There is a cultural slash social standard. Here's what I mean by that. The other people that I grew up with, the people in this land, people in this town, they go to church X amount of times in the month, and they, you know, they seem like good Christians, so if I go at least that much, I'm also a pretty good Christian. Is that the right standard to use? Is, is that how we're supposed to judge ourselves? Are we to compare ourselves among ourselves? Now, watch how this might work. Let's just say, hypothetically, that you have a church like the one I mentioned just a moment ago, that missions conference, 350 people or so, they come to church like that every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. The whole church is there. Now, that church is unique, granted. It's, it's unique, but that's how they are. If you miss, you get about five to ten phone calls from various people. Hey, you okay? Everything all right? Anything happened to you? Did you die? I mean, I'm serious. My son-in-law, South African, gets to America, joins a solid church that side. You know the pastor. He came and preached for us. And he, he said, Paul, things are just different this side. Things are just different. If we miss, everybody knows it. And not in a bad way. Say, everybody wants us to be there, and they're concerned if we're not. And he said, we look around, and, and we get excited when we see everybody at church. And we know if somebody's not there, then, then something, you know, kept them from it. It wasn't their choice. They didn't, like, schedule something in the place of church. They never, and I mean that, they would not do that. That's just a big no-no. Now, imagine if every week that's how the church was, you would probably feel uncomfortable about missing a Sunday. Why? Because that's not how we roll. If I miss, everybody's going to know. It's going to stick out. Listen, honestly, if you miss two or three Sundays, people won't raise an eyebrow, usually. That's, well, you know, that's just life. That's how things happen. They should. And, and for what it's worth, I notice and I pray and I try to prayerfully approach, you know, how long do I wait before I reach out to you and go, you know, are you okay? But I think if everybody... If everybody starts coming faithfully, and then you say, okay, because everybody does it, I'm going to join in. That's positive peer pressure. I think you're being provoked into doing a good work. But that provocation should show you this is how it should be done, but that should not be the only reason you come to church. You shouldn't feel pressured by your peers into doing right. It should pressure you into figuring out this is how it should be done, but then your heart and your motives should change as time goes on. So some people, it's just a cultural standard. This seems to be enough according to my peers, so that's enough for me. That's not a biblical way to do it. Others, others use finances as the gauge, right? How much should I come to church? Well, it depends on what my boss says and what my finances say money. And uh, I don't think I need to say much more about that. You know that's not the right standard. So let me flip it around. If I were to pay, I'm not going to do this. Hypothetical. If I paid you to come to church, would you come to church more? I, I, I can see some of you going, so how much you got then? <laughs> I, I can see it. You're like, yes, I'm listening. <laughs> 
put your offer. <laughs> Let's negotiate. <laughs> yeah, I can see it in some of you. you. Say, if you paid me enough, I might. All right, so let me take it a step further. Because for some people, not, for most of you, I mean, you're here in the Bible study hour. You're not here for the money. I know that. I know that. L- l- let me take it a step further. What if the church became your primary source of income? What if we became the source of how you pay the bills, eat, keep the lights on? What if we took the place of your job? Then how much would you come to church? Would you call before you missed? Would you tell the pastor, hey, listen, I'm not going to be there because I am physically unable? Because you probably do that for your boss. Probably. I hope. Either that or you've had a lot of different bosses through, the, <laughs> through your life. Because <laughs> you will get fired if you just don't show up because you don't feel like it. Now you say, well, pastor, but that's different. You know, my work's different. I know it's different. Church is much more important. Because, because, listen, I, and you said, no, no, that's just your opinion. I got a verse. Come to Luke chapter 16. Let me show you the verse. Luke 16, verse 10. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. He that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. So we need to determine when Jesus says that which is least, what is he talking about? And that which is much, what is he talking about? Verse 11. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, money, that is the least. Who will commit to your trust the what? True riches, something spiritual and eternal. Right? So what the church, and I say the church, any Bible-believing church should be providing you with spiritual riches. Right? The true riches. It should be of very high importance. Might I dare say primary I know it's not God. I I know that. And like I said, I know there's times you need to miss. But it should be up there. It It should be held in higher esteem than your secular job. I'll just throw this advice out there because I think people need to hear it. We have a lot of students that come and go through the church. Please, as soon as you start looking for that job after you graduate, before you say yes because the paycheck looks good, Make sure there's a Bible-believing church in that town. First thing you do when you get an offer to go work somewhere, go ask questions, go online. Is there a church I can go to in that town so that I can stay spiritually strong? I can raise my family in that church. And if there's not a church there, that needs to loom large in your decision. Large. Now I say this not only biblically, but experientially. Dozens and dozens of phone calls and letters and emails, people coming in saying, listen, I'm struggling. There's no church in this area. I miss the good old days when I could go to church regular. All right? Another gauge that people use, there's the cultural standard. There's the financial standard. Listen, I come to church as much as I can, but I got to work. And, and, and might I say, there are some exceptional times where your job is, you know, the schedule's just bumping. I know exceptions happen. But just be mindful. 
And then the third thing I want to say, personal, a personal gauge. And this one, again, I'm preaching to the choir. The personal gauge is, I just don't feel like coming. I feel like I come enough. Well, what can I say to convince you otherwise, right? If you feel like you've come enough, all I can do is keep preaching the Bible and hopefully the Holy Spirit shows you that it's not just about you. Just because you've come enough for you, remember, you are supposed to consider one another, right? So if, if not for you, come so that the other people can be encouraged. And then one more gauge I'll put on this, and, and there might be others, but this last one, a biblical gauge. If we were to search the Scriptures, if we were to just ask God, how much church do you want me to attend? God, you tell me. What would his answer be? Would it be the same as the cultural, financial, personal? You want to bring those things in line with the Bible, yes? So when we ask the Bible, let's, you can hold Luke because we're going to come back to that. Just look at Psalm 27. Get Psalm 27 and verse 4. Psalm 27 and verse 4. I'll just give you a couple verses. I think, I think this is a fairly obvious point. It doesn't need a lot of explanation. And this again, I, I, I hesitate to start quantifying this, right? Because we, we could keep you busy seven days a week. We could. Every area is going to be a little different with how much they can actually come together. We do need to think about other schedules. You do have a family. You do have a job. We can't intrude into that too much. I get that. In the days of the Reformation in Switzerland, it was a law. You had to go to church every Sunday. If you were caught walking around, you were punished. It was a law. <laughs> I'm not going to set up that. Don't worry. Some of you are like, <laughs> no. <laughs> not only was it a law, you had to go to church on Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday night, you had to go in the afternoon for the catechal classes, and you had to go Monday, Wednesday, Friday for another dose of preaching. That was just how it was. I'm not suggesting we keep that schedule. I'm just saying we need to look at how much church do we need, not how much do we want. Let's not ask our flesh. Let's ask God. Now, here's a good attitude, Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. What I love about that verse, David is not simply saying, I want to just show up to church and tick the box. Do you see that in the verse? I want to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, all the days that I'm able to be there, all the days that God has required of me, and God did tell the Jews, you must come at these particular days. David said, I'm happy to be there because he wants to see the beauty of the Lord and inquire. He wants to have a personal relationship with God. Let me talk to God, have him talk to me, get an answer. So he's going to the temple, to the house of God for the right reason. The New Testament side, I think you know the verse, Revelation 3 verse 20. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Jesus has told you where he's going to be on Sundays. 
Now, if you want to meet with him, you know where to find him. And, and again, I'm not trying to be cheeky with you. I'm trying to make a point on this. For someone to then say, well, you know, I can meet with God anywhere. I know that. I know that. But come on. If I send you a message and say, hey, let's meet there at Mug and Bean or at Toro in the Built or whatever. If I say, let's meet there at such and such a time. And then you are on the other side of town or in a different town on that scheduled time and go, well, we could have met over here. Yes, I know, but I told you this is where I'd be, right? So look, come back to Luke chapter 14 now. All right, so you want to hold yourself to a biblical standard. Now, as I've mentioned, there are going to be times when you're not able to come. And I don't want you to go out of here feeling this the, the twisting of the arm, like, okay, I just have to be there. There's no reason I could ever miss. There are some reasons. Let me list a few. Sometimes, sometimes there are business requirements you can't get out of, and it's outside of your control, okay? And I do not intend, as your pastor, to follow up on you and check up every week and go, hey, was this in your control or out of your control? That's not my business, right? Some, sometimes, you know, people have sporting events, I had several eyeballs point up this way. Sometimes sporting events are scheduled on weekends. You see, what I'm listing here are some, some reasons that people do not come to church. Sometimes these reasons are excuses that you hide behind. And sometimes these same things can be opportunities to prove to the Lord and to the church how important he is and we are because you found a way to come anyway, even though you had that obstacle. You understand? So sometimes it's business, sometimes it's sports, sometimes it's your kids. I want to take them out. I want to do something special. Amen, amen. I, and sometimes that will require a weekend, but every other weekend. See, that's between you and the Lord, but just be mindful. Holidays come up. Friends invite you to do things. At a certain point, you're going to have to say, hey, I'm a disciple of Christ and I have a schedule. Sundays are taken. So I'm sorry. I'd love to spend time with you, but we'll have to do it on a Saturday. Or wait for the December holidays when we have more time or something. Sometimes it's your health. Please. If you're contagious, don't come. And this is not just a COVID announcement. <laughs> right? If you're contagious, please, we don't, we don't want to fellowship with you in that. <laughs> we don't want to share that. You keep that. <laughs> just, just be mindful of that, okay? So these things I've just mentioned, you can add to the list as you see fit. These things are called life. These things are going to happen. We're all going to be met with these challenges, and then you have an opportunity to say, do I push through it and come? Do I find a way or do I hide behind this as an excuse not to come? Now here's where it's going to get a lot simpler. We're going to finish up here in Luke 14. Look with me at verse 16. Jesus gives a parable. Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. At what time? Verse 17. What, what time? Supper time. Sup. Supper time. Do you remember that? 
If any man hear my voice, open the door, I will come into him. He will sup with me. And Okay. Verse 18, and they all with one accord, or one consent rather, begin to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. Verse 20, and another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. <laughs> no excuse. He doesn't. He doesn't say from for schooling. Nix. He just says ekani. This <laughs> It's the woman you gave me. I can't go. You'd be shocked how many people use that one, right? So sometimes it's personal possessions. I bought ground. Sometimes it's work. I have five yoke of oxen. That's your job, right? Farming. And sometimes it's your family. And they're all excuses. Verse 21, so that, so that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, be, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled in the parable, you know who's saying this, right? That represents God. Now, the parable is about the kingdom. Let's get that right. But on a smaller scale, the same is true of church. This is the desire God has. Verse 24, for I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. Say, you know, it's not convenient for me to come. I've, you know, whatever reason, I've chosen not to come. I'll just meet with God on my own time, my own schedule, and he says, no, you won't. I showed up Sunday and knocked at the church, and I wanted to sup with you there. And you said no. God doesn't, God doesn't allow us to dictate to him when and where he's allowed to fellowship with us. He dictates to us. Yeah? So I'm going to try. Let, let's just use this as an example. These excuses... What if the first man, upon hearing the invitation to come and sup with all the others that were invited, upon hearing that said, you know what, I just bought a piece of ground. I'm going to be there. And pastor, if anybody wants to come later on for a lekker braai, op die grond, they're welcome to come. What if he had said that? That would have been a blessing. What if the second guy would have said, hey, I just bought five yoke of oxen. I just got two tractors. If anybody in the church needs help with their field, let me know. Because I just got some new oxen. I can come help plow the... It didn't have to be an excuse not to come. It could have been a reason to get involved. The last guy could have said, hey, I just, I just got married. I want to bring my wife and introduce her to the church. Maybe she'd get saved. <laughs> right? In all these cases, they could have handled that differently. So I'm asking you to employ this very simple approach. This is where I don't want to overcomplicate the subject. Here's how I believe we should approach church attendance. If you want to come, you'll find a way. How about that? Is that simple enough? If you want to come, you'll find a way. Unless there is absolutely no way to be found, right? Like I said, there are going to be times where you just cannot come 
But outside of those exceptions, the rule, you set your dial to, I want to be there. Not I have to be there. I want to be there. And I'll do whatever I can to show up. Because it's a blessing to me, yes, and it helps everybody around me. And most of all, it pleases God. He wants the house to be full. Yeah, that's God's desire. Now, next week, we're going to talk a little bit, Lord willing, about YouTube. <laughs> Pointing at the camera, sorry. <laughs> camera moment. We'll talk about YouTube because, like I said, there's going to be times where you're not able to show up. I believe there's a right way to use the YouTube can we call it a ministry, right, the, the YouTube videos? But then also people do abuse that. We're going to talk about that next week. So let's all stand. Father, thank you this morning for allowing us to cover this tricky topic. And I pray that you would work in our hearts, in our minds. Help us, Lord. Please help us to bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, especially on this subject that we talked about today today. Lord, fix our hearts so that we want to be here. I pray you bless our service to come. We desire to sup with you and you with us. And we desire to sup with each other. I look forward to it, Lord. Help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys enjoy whatever warmth you can find. And we'll start again in a few minutes.